really everyone's lives can, and I would go so far as to say should be centered around their spirituality from the standpoint of just knowing who they are as a spiritual being. Because it doesn't matter what we're doing in the world, we're all these spiritual beings having human experiences. And once we get to know that spiritual essence within us, it really changes the whole experience of what life is like. That was today's guest, Jenny Lee. She is a spiritual coach and the award-winning author of three books on self-development, spirituality, and yoga philosophy. We're talking about her latest book today, Spark Change, which is 108 Provocative Questions for Spiritual Evolution. Jenny has a private practice where she helps people through yoga therapy gain a greater sense of peace and purpose in their lives. You can learn more about Jenny by checking out her website, JennyLeeYogaTherapy.com. I would also encourage you to check out the book Spark Change. And Jenny has a free excerpt of the book as well as bonus guides for coaches, yoga teachers, and a book club coming up in May over at JennyLeeYogaTherapy.com forward slash spark dash change. If you want to be a part of that virtual book club coming up in May, then you should join her newsletter for updates. This conversation that we're having is one of my favorites. I'm sure you'll hear the excitement in me as I recorded this with her. We're talking about the deeper aspects of ourselves, about the power in knowing our soul selves and how we can use spiritual inquiry to deepen that connection with self. Ultimately, that leads to spiritual evolution. Jenny also talks about the three essential practices that have helped her spiritual evolution and allow her to stay centered and grounded. I am absolutely going to be focusing on these three elements myself. We also discuss what on earth yoga therapy is. I mean, I was like, what are you doing here, Jenny? So we get a better understanding of the difference between exercise yoga and yoga therapy, as well as the power we can have to overcome things like self-doubt when we are connected to the soul part of ourselves. This one was a treat for me. Jenny is definitely worth checking out, but without me continuing to ramble on, I think it's just time we got into the show. Welcome to Here to Thrive. I'm your host, Kate Snowwise. This is a podcast for people who are ready to step up and live a happier life. It's for those of us who are dedicated to understanding ourselves and getting the best that we can out of this thing called life. It's a mix of psychology and modern spiritual thought, always with a focus on practical advice so that you can take it back and apply it to your own life. I don't believe we're here to merely survive. I truly believe we're here to thrive. So let's get going. Jenny, 
Jenny, thank you for being with us on Here to Thrive today. I'm so glad to be with you, Kate. It's great. I know I woke you up nice and early. You said you've only had one coffee so far this morning. Yeah, I'm not even through the first one, but that's okay. It's a good thing I'm a morning person. Oh, you're already jumping ahead in the interview, Jenny. I love it. We already have a sneak peek into the intermission questions. Oh, no, sorry. Didn't mean to give anything away. (laughs) Coming back to you, I would love to learn a little bit more about you. What do you do I was going to say as a day job, but do we even call what you do a day job? Tell us more about yourself, Jenny. (laughs) Well, I am blessed to do what I love most every day, which is primarily to work on my books and also to work with clients who are usually in some sort of a transition in their lives and seeking some guidance particularly in this realm of spirituality and their spiritual self-development. And so it's been an evolutionary process for me, the type of coaching that I've offered for people. But the, the aspect of spirituality has always been really front and center for me. It's been my, my passion and my greatest interest. So even as a child, did you consider yourself spiritual or was it something you uncovered a little bit later in life? Even as a child, I remember very, very early on asking my mom pretty deep questions about kind of why we're here and what life is all about. And fortunately, she also was a very spiritual person. She was a Christian scientist, which is a denomination of Christianity that focuses very much on on spiritual healing and um kind of the spiritual essence of who we are as beings. That was my upbringing. And although I I did not pursue, you know, membership in that religion per se, I do appreciate kind of the foundation that it laid because it, again, it got me asking very deep questions at a very early age. And, And pretty much since college, since I graduated from college, I've been focused soul-heartedly on my own spiritual path and practices. And it's been just the really the number one thing that drives me through each day. So <laughs> it, it informs a lot. I'm fascinated, and I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that are perhaps wondering, like, how do you make a life based with spirituality at the center? Like, how is this a career? So I'll just back up and say that I I feel that really everyone's lives can, and I would go so far as to say should be centered around their spirituality from the standpoint of just knowing who they are as a spiritual being, because it doesn't matter what we're doing in the world. We're all these spiritual beings having human experiences. And once we get to know that spiritual essence within us, it really changes the whole experience of what life is like depending on, you know, indeterminate of what you're doing in the world. It just brings another layer or dimension. But in terms of, you know, how, how do, how have I gotten where I am in this moment in terms of what I do for a living? I started out with a yoga studio. I ran a yoga studio for many years, 10 years in the Boston area. And 
was teaching physical classes and primarily focused on the physical expression of yoga. But the more that I studied and learned about yoga philosophy, the more that I realized this is a science of living. This is a science of spirituality. This is not just physical postures and there's so much more to teach. And so that was kind of when I got into offering the, the messages, uh, that I consider to be really deep spiritual messages within my classes. And I think it, it, it attracted students who did want more than just exercise yoga. And I noticed that with all the private clients that I was working with, we would inevitably get to the big questions, you know, the, so, you know, what do you believe is bigger than yourself and how do you relate to that? And so I, it's been an, an evolution for for me as anyone's career is to step deeper and deeper into that aspect of what I teach. And it's, I've been on this path for over 25 years now in terms of my own personal practice and my coaching practice. And it's, it's been great. I'm so touched by what you just said there around each of us knowing who we are as spiritual beings. And I'm getting the impression that you would say that this evolution has been soul guided. Absolutely. Oh, I love it. Yoga therapy. What is it? (laughs) (laughs) I love that you just asked that because uh, even after 20 years of of practicing yoga therapy and offering yoga therapy, I still get asked this question because it's really not widely understood. And so thank you for asking the question, Kate, and I'd be happy to explain that. So uh, again, most people know yoga as the physical practices. That's the most commonly experienced aspect of yoga. But from the standpoint of the history of yoga, there is a whole philosophical system behind, um, behind the physical practice. The physical practice is one tiny bit of the entire essence of what yoga is. And really it is a science, a spiritual science of coming to know who we truly are on all levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. And so yoga therapy is primarily done on a one-to-one basis. So when I work with a client now, it's almost all over Zoom, but in the past it was in person. And we talk about the types of things that they're being challenged by right now. That could be a physical challenge, but it could also be just kind of a, a, a wondering what they're meant to be doing, really. They're feeling some sort of pull towards a serviceful path or some change that they're feeling like they need to make, or they're feeling a lot of anxiety and they don't know why and they're trying to identify what this kind of low level or even high level disturbance is in their being. So yoga therapy is really the, the practices that help people integrate their experience of life on all these different levels. So to dig into understanding and being able to express themselves 
in all the deepest ways that are most meaningful to them and to move beyond the inner obstacles of fear and self-doubt and self-judgment and all the things that kind of block us up and keep us from living in a way that feels meaningful and purposeful and easeful in life. Fascinated because as you mentioned, most of us think of yoga as exercise yoga. So with yoga therapy, do you still primarily use the physical movement to start to make some of these shifts, discoveries and understandings? It really depends on the individual. So sometimes it will be a physical practice that helps to loosen some of the emotional experience that might be really hidden or blocked from that individual's consciousness. You know, we store so much in our bodies that there it, the body is is very much of a doorway into our inner experience. So that is for sure a way that I work with people. However, it's not always that. Sometimes if the person, you know, we're all different. Some people are much more cognitively centered. Other people are more body centered. So my job as a yoga therapist is to really meet the person at the point of learning that will be most accessible for them. So for some people that is an entry through body practices for other people, it's entry through more dialogue or more meditation or more self inquiry that type of thing. I'm personally really fascinated in this at the moment because I'm sort of looking even more deeply into stress, which is something that I have studied for years now, but I'm really starting to look at this kind of mind-body connection. And as you just mentioned, that almost like the somatic experience of stress that may not even be in the consciousness of people. Do you see that? For sure. You know, we are such a culture, the Western world is such a culture of doing. And so we just do, 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 do. And I'm guilty of this as well. I'm very much of a type A personality. And I can push through the the tasks of my day to the point where I get up from my desk and my body is just aching. I mean, I hate to even admit this because this is what I work with people on, but the reality is like it happens to all of us. And so then I I have started taking breaks. I've gotten better over the years at recognizing when I'm allowing that stress to build up in my body. And I take periodic breaks throughout the day to where I just lay down on the ground. I have a little acupressure mat and I lay down and I do a a pranayama practice, which is a a breathing practice where I'm channeling energy and the body in different ways and and just tuning into what's happening and where the stress and tension is building up so that I can release it and not get to the end of the day. That was an exaggeration. Usually it's when I'm on a deadline for a book that I'll sit there for the eight hours and not move. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, "I, I don't make a practice of this. Oh, I'm a huge believer that we are drawn to seek to understand the very lessons we need to learn. So like I'm a stress cadet, hence the reason I'm fascinated by stress. A hundred percent. This is true. We teach what we need to learn. One hundred percent. You mentioned self-inquiry there. And that's really what I want to dive into more You've written this book, Spark Change, which is 108 questions for spiritual evolution. And oh my gosh, I am like, I'm mesmerized by it because 
What I love about your book, Jenny, is I didn't even read the, and I, sh- I, I feel bad saying this, but I didn't jump straight into reading the book. I just looked at your your contents and the list and I decided which question I wanted to answer. And it's this beautiful template you've created for self-inquiry. Is that what your intention was with having the questions being the title chap- of the chapters? Yes, I love that you shared that because there are so many different ways to work with this book. And it, it although it is laid out very intentionally in what I'm, I call an arc of change and the process of change that we, the, kind of the steps that we need to go through to accomplish any kind of positive proactive change in our lives. There's also, because the chapters are laid out with nine questions per theme, you could, as you did, dip into the table of contents and look at the themes and then see of the questions beneath that, which one really jumps out to you. And I think it's a fantastic way to use the book. I've also heard of people just opening it randomly and letting the universe deliver to them the question of the moment, which has offered some pretty profound ahas for clients of mine and almost to the level of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I got that question. It's just absolutely right on. And so, yeah, it's really fun. It's There's a lot of different ways to approach self-inquiry and I'd love to continue the conversation around that. Oh, definitely. I want to start with what do you see as the benefits? Like what why should we all be doing this? Well, back to knowing ourselves as spiritual beings and having that most easeful, purposeful expression and experience of life that I think we're all seeking. When we encounter periods of time where we are feeling a lot of stress or we're feeling confusion or self-doubt, you know, these are indicators that something is misaligned, that we're really not quite on the right path that we're meant to be on, or we're not living our fullness. And so the practice of self-inquiry, also known as introspection or self-reflection, is the way to tap into that inner knowing, that soul knowing that is our highest guide for our lives and really what will take us to the greatest sense of fulfillment. So for me, it's an essential practice. There's, there's really three essential practices, self-inquiry, meditation, and devotion. So oh, that's the trio that anchors me. Self-inquiry, how do we do it? Like, how can we become self-reflective? Do you have particular practices that help with this? So this book, Spark Change, actually came about because as a yoga therapist, one of the things that I do on the daily with clients is ask a tremendous amount of questions. I hear, I listen first. I hear their experience of life and I put the pieces together and I'm pretty good at kind of looking at that whole picture of a person's experience. Sometimes people will be all over the map and kind of telling me what's going on and they'll be, they'll say things like, I don't even, this doesn't even make sense to me. I don't know where I'm going. I'm like, no, no, keep going, keep going. And so as I listen, I'm getting this whole picture of that person and where the disruptions are in their their being really. And then my questions are meant to 
get them into that process of thinking differently than they've been thinking up until that point. So it's like a pattern interrupter, if you will. I don't have the answers for anybody. I'm not here to give anybody their answers, but I am here to guide them to their own answers. And that's really what the practice of these questions offers people. And so I wanted to write a book that would kind of quantify what I do in my client sessions and give it to people in a form that they could take themselves through. So this is in a way, it's like a a year of coaching in your hands because these questions give you material to work with and start to go deeper and deeper levels inward. It's absolutely like a year of coaching in your hands, people. Like I uh, was really blown away by the power I can see that lies in these questions. You know, there's so much power. So you work with people one-on-one, as do I, in coaching. And I agree wholeheartedly that I see myself as someone who really just helps people uncover their own answers. So coaching is a way to kind of self-reflect Would you encourage people to use these questions in a journaling type sense, or is it something we can kind of just ponder? Both. Um, I think it, again, depends on the individual. Some people love to write, and the practice of taking a question or a prompt and pondering it for a little bit and then writing things down is very powerful for some people. I know for me it is. I've been a journaler my whole life. A lot of these questions also came from my own practice of self-inquiry, things that I pondered over and over and over again. And I went back to many, many years of journals and looked at the themes of my questions and what I continue to return to year after year after year, like a dog with a bone trying to really get down to that deepest, truest answer. So you know, for some people, it'll be journaling others. If you're not a journaler, that's okay, too. I I do some of my best self reflection when I'm out on my walks, I take a daily walk. And for me, it's a time to that movement is really helpful in kind of letting my mind drift off the task at hand that maybe I've been plugged into prior, or I know I have to plug into after the walk. And it's just a time to be with myself and be with my inner experience. So you could take a question and then go out for a walk or a swim and just kind of ponder it. So yeah, there's lots of different ways. Mm, That's really powerful. Another thing I say, Jenny, which I'm sure you'll agree with, is that the world is really loud, but our inner voices are quiet. And so if we are to touch the soul part of ourselves, we have to make the space for us to hear it. Absolutely. And I think this is getting harder and harder for people because we are so bombarded with the, all the social media channels, all the news channels, all the input from the world that feels so urgent to respond to. And it takes a discipline to say, you know what? It's, I don't have to respond right now. I don't have to read the news right now. I can turn off the social media and it's going to be okay. Like I'm going to be okay. But people have to come to this point of believing that they're going to be okay, because it's a very different orientation. Many, many people are hooked by seeking that validation of self externally. 
And to turn inward, to go into that silence can feel very scary. You know, they don't know who they're going to meet there. And if, and if all they're going to meet is themselves, that in itself can be scary, you know, because it's unfamiliar territory. Maybe there's things that they haven't faced, feelings that they haven't faced, or truth that they haven't really told themselves. And so silence can feel really precarious. And when I'm working with someone who I know that that, that's their experience, and you know, we might talk about meditation, they're like, I can't meditate, like, I'm just way too restless. And that's not going to work for me. I say, well, it's, it's something that you grow into gradually. I mean, I didn't start sometimes I do like a three hour meditation, but I didn't start that way. And I still don't do it all the time. It's something that you work towards and not to say that you even have to meditate for three hours, but you know, it's baby steps like anything else. It's a practice. Mm. Yeah. I'm just hearing that we're totally aligned on this journey, but that external stimulation, it's addicting. And and many of us, I think, in the modern world don't know how to turn it off or, like you just said, are nervous too. I know that with some clients, I have encouraged them to simply go for that walk without the podcast. I mean, you're listening to a podcast right now, but without the podcast in their ears or go for that run in silence or to drive in the car by themselves with no radio on. And I think it's just sometimes it's creating those pockets of quiet that can be a great starting place. I think those are great suggestions, Kate, because the movement, again, the movement is often helpful for people practicing. If you have a, if you have a physical yoga practice and you know enough of the movements, or even if you don't, I mean, just make it up, who cares? Like do that for 20 minutes without listening to something on zoom, you know, just move your body in any way. And it can be a really powerful portal to that inner information. Like we were talking about earlier, the somatic experience. The other way that I would say is, is helpful as a kind of an entry point is to do little feeling check-ins throughout your day. So this is an exercise that I do with clients. Often I just ask them to pause and close their eyes and place a hand on their body somewhere, usually on their belly or their chest, and to take a couple of deep breaths. We can do it together now. So just place a hand on your body, take a couple deep breaths, and notice what feeling is present right now. And then breathe into just allowing that. You can even say to yourself, I allow myself to feel nervous. If you're feeling nervous, I accept that I feel nervous in this moment. It's okay that I feel nervous in this moment. And I give myself full permission to feel nervous in this moment. Take another deep breath. And then we'll come back out. And what that little pause does is it just orients people inward momentarily to their felt experience. And it's simple and it's repeatable. And it starts to open that door just a crack to the inner world. And it's like, oh, yeah, we're coming home to ourselves in this way that is so sweet and necessary. And 
we've got to give space to the feelings that are as they arise. Otherwise, we'll never be able to enter the period of meditation for 30 minutes and have any kind of quiet, you know, because it'll just all be restless inner ter- emotional turmoil. So these little breaks, these little pauses in the check-ins, that's how I help people often to begin. Oh, I like that. And uh, if anyone was nosy about what I was experiencing, I would say, Jenny, I was experiencing the emotion of relief. And I was just thinking about how nice it is to talk about the deeper aspects of life. So nice. I love that, Kate. And, you know, it is a relief because this is a part of our experience, whether we're acknowledging it or not. And so it's, it is that like coming back to center. And there is such a, uh, not let down in the sense of disappointment, but like a letting down of the holding on and holding ourselves up and holding ourselves together that we all do to kind of make it through the world. And so that sense of relief that you described is that like letting it go. Ah, (laughs) Right. It absolutely is. Jenny, you also mentioned the other two parts that you focus on. So self-inquiry, but also devotion and meditation. We've talked a little bit about meditation, so it feels like the natural next place to go. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the benefits to a meditation practice? Absolutely. The the number one for me, uh, motivator and benefit, both motivator and benefit to meditation is that it connects me to my intuitive knowing. So however, whatever choices I have to make, whatever new paths I'm trying to chart for myself, I want to know that I am making those decisions from that highest place of soul wisdom. And if I'm not meditating on a regular basis, giving myself that deep quiet and that deep internal check-in, I'm not going to make good decisions. In fact, I've been in a period recently where I've had a lot of decisions and I've been feeling very incapable of making them. And it's an indicator to myself that I need to get to my cushion more, that I'm not meditating enough. So I really feel the difference in how meditation um, affects that particular part of my experience of life. The other thing is it does, we were talking about stress, it really does lower our stress levels. There's lots and lots written about the physical benefits of meditation and how it lowers cortisol levels, it boosts the immune system, it calms the nervous system. And so there's just so much physical benefit to it. How do you like to meditate, Jenny? So I believe in sitting upright Uh, with a straight spine, because there's a lot of energetic principles that have to do with the spine and the movement of energy within and around the spine. So I do believe in, in not lying down meditation, as some people teach. But I sit in a chair and with my feet on the ground and my spine upright, and I do a practice that is a combination of mantra and breath focus and uh, visualization. And that helps me bring my mind into a concentrated space. 
And then after some of that practice of in from yogic terms, this is dharana or the the focusing of the mind, then we begin to have those moments where we really drop into the experience of meditation, which is just that state of being in deep stillness. Now, those moments are fairly fleeting, even for a longtime meditator, but they're powerful. And they're like this superfood, if you will, uh, for the soul, because a few minutes of really deep, ah, oh, stillness in meditation can be as rejuvenating for both the mind and the body and the spirit as, you know, a solid night's sleep. Mm. The third element, so self-inquiry, meditation, and then you said devotion. What does devotion mean to you? So devotion means that we recognize that there is something greater than ourself. And to me, this is so essential. We live in an extremely self-focused time and culture, and I don't think it's helping us. <laughs> I think we're we're really declining as a result of being so self-focused. And so um, this recognition that there is something greater than ourselves, right? Now, some people might call that God, Spirit, the universe, energy, collective consciousness, nature, I don't care what you call it. It really doesn't matter what you call it. It just matters that you connect to it somehow and start to experience it. Start to experience something greater than your own personal little rat wheel going through life, trying to get your needs met and all of that because our lives are short. And there is something greater. So I believe that we are meant to come to know that and to be devoted to it. And as we open our hearts into devotion, there is such a sweetness that comes into our lives. I mean, the moments when I sink into devotional practice are the most transformative moments of all. I feel very inspired having this conversation what can we do to practice devotion? That is such a great question, Kate. And it is a question that I have asked and continue asking all the time internally. And I'll tell you the, the thing that for me is most powerful. And sometimes I forget to do it on the good days. And I think we often do this on the bad days when we're feeling most frustrated and low and discouraged and helpless. But I also want to do it on the good days when I'm feeling joyful and grateful and optimistic. And that is simply to get on my knees and to place my head and my hands on the floor in a gesture of, of surrender and to that which is greater than self and say, I'm yours use me in service to goodness and to love in this world and show me, show me what's next. Uh, it reminds me of the, of, of a prayer, which I feel like I need to add more into my daily practices. We're talking about this, Jenny, but that prayer, which I'm pretty sure goes, what will you have me do? No, what will you have me do? Where will you have me go? And I, I can't remember it now. Who, and, who will you have me the, serve? Or yes. Yeah. Who will you have me serve? Uh, 
that's sort of something I feel like I need to bring back into my practice because I think it is just connecting to that that devotion. I love that word. Love it. Mm. Talking about spiritual evolution, which is part of the title of Spark Change, how do we recognize if and when we are evolving spiritually? Mm. You're a great question asker, Kate. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just nosy about life, Jenny. I'm just super nosy. I love it. That's why you do what you do so well. So um, we, I think the biggest indicator that we are evolving is that we feel more peaceful and we move through our days with a greater ease. You know, we've talked about stress, we've talked about self doubt, and these are very common experiences for people. And when we do the practices that we've been talking about today, and we come into a greater knowing of soul self, and we are evolving spiritually into a place where we're living more and more from that center, we feel peaceful. And there's just kind of this graceful flow through life. And again, I know it because I, I have felt it. And then I know it when I'm not there. And I've, I, I need to get back to my deeper practices because maybe I've been working too much or putting too much time into my external connections and talking to people and looking at social media and all of that. And I'm not giving as much time to my inner world. And then I feel like, oh, things are just more difficult and I'm more reactive and, you know, snappy. And so I really feel the difference in the two states. And it's not that we devolve, but we get sort of um, thrown off the path momentarily. And then hopefully we just course correct and come back on. Oh, I love that word, grace. And I can just, I, I see myself in that very same reflection as you mentioned it, of just this sort of graceful ease. And I would say that in the times where I've felt most spiritually rooted, there is, I mean, I, I, it sounds arrogant to say, but I feel like I'm I'm lighter. There's a glow. And I don't, uh, this is my own imagination. I doubt other people can see it. Maybe they can feel it. But that's what it feels like. My body feels lighter. I don't think it's arrogant to say, Kate. I think it's actually really essential to say. And you're accurate in that. We are lighter. We are light beings. Light is another word for that which is greater than ourselves, in my opinion. And in, and from yoga philosophy, they use the word light. Ishvara is a word that is equivalent to spirit or God or whatever you might call cosmic consciousness. And so as we embody our spiritual essence, we do become lighter, both in how we feel and also in how we look. And you're not, you're not kidding. People will see it. I've had people say to me too, you're glowing. And it's because I'm in inner spiritual alignment. And then there's other times when I look in the mirror and I'm like, whoo, (laughs) (laughs) right? Like, Okay, gotta gotta get that light turned on again because it's it's not shining at the moment. <laughs> I think it's really important to highlight, as you said, it's not like you reach a point of like spiritual, like checkbox, spiritually evolved. That it really is a practice, and that you continue 
we need to continue to practice to stay connected to our soul selves. For sure, for sure. Honestly, as long as we're in the human body and having any sort of really uh, roller coaster emotional experience, we're, we haven't reached that state of enlightenment. And there are, I, you know, there's a lot of people out there who call themselves enlightened or gurus or this or that. And I would venture to say that 99.99% are not at some fully enlightened state. So it is, it is continual practice. And we wouldn't even be having the conversation if we hit full enlightenment, like it's just a whole other dimension of <laughs> we're not going to even be here doing the things that we're doing now. Oh, I, yeah. See, and then the, the skeptic of me gets all like, yeah, exactly. All these, <laughs> the skeptic of me gets carried away. And I think that for me, I've noticed that tuning into myself and truly just listening to my inner knowing it is the part of me that can quieten the noise it can quieten that skepticism or the worry about what anyone else is doing anyway if I focus in on my inner my inner connection Mm -hmm. for sure Okay, intermission questions. This is where you were jumping ahead to right at the very start, Jenny. So are you you a morning person or a night person? I'm going to be so Uh, surprised by your answer, by the way. I am such a morning person. Really? Really? (laughs) Never would have guessed it. So uh, what what does a morning look like for you? Well, I'm usually up by 4.30 or 5, if you can believe that. But I truly, truly am a farmer at heart, I think. I, I want a farm someday. I love animals. And so I get up and I have my coffee and I feed my bunnies because I have house bunnies. And um, then I do my meditation practice and a little spiritual reading. And then I get on to my day. Oh, house bunnies. Are they like kitties, but like bunnies? I'm fascinated about this. So do they know to go and poop in a certain place or do you just have to like quickly scoop it up? No, they know. They're a litter box train just like cats are. Oh my gosh. Well, there you go. House buddies. All right. What is on your bedside table? Well, it's a very large volume on the Bhagavad Gita, which is a spiritual parable of the journey of life and the and the ever uh, increasing battle between the ego and the soul, which we're all battling in some way, like we've been talking about today. So. Oh my gosh, <laughs> so so much the battle of life. Uh, favorite book or a book that may have touched you at an important time in your life? Favorite book, 100% autobiography of a yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. Changed my life, changed my understanding of yoga. I've read it six times now and listened to it once on audio. And Yogananda is one of the most love-filled, brilliant spiritual teachers ever. And that book is a volume to go back to again and again. I was, it was on the tip of my tongue. If you hadn't have said that book, I was going to ask you if you had read it. And (laughs) I'm thinking I might need to listen on Audible. I didn't realize there was an audio book version, but I feel like the love, you just soak up the love off those pages. Yes, for sure. He is an amazingly loving Uh, being. He's no longer in the body, but the love continues. I feel it every time I open something that he's written. 
a life lesson that's taken you a good long while to learn? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm happily married now. However, I will say that I fell in love with potential a lot. And for those of you who are single and listening, don't fall in love with potential. <laughs> fall in love with what's in front of you and accept the person as they are. And if you can't love them as they are in this moment, you probably shouldn't be together. So that one took me a long time. But I'd say, you know, it continues because I get I'm very optimistic. I'm I'm sort of an idealist at heart. And so I can fall in love with the potential of uh you know, what, what, uh, how, we're looking at houses right now. And so I can see a kind of a dumpy house, but I'll fall in love with the potential, but really I don't want all that work. So <laughs> mind myself of that lesson. <laughs> this is a brilliant life lesson, Jenny. Like for all the people she just saved, do not fall in love with potential. <laughs> do you have a favorite self-care activity? Surfing. I'm a surfer. So that I, I paused because I haven't gotten a chance to get in the water in the last couple of weeks because it's been quite windy here in Hawaii. But um, that is my place where I let everything go, primarily because I'm not that great of a surfer and I have to really pay attention so I don't get completely wiped out by a wave. But it is a wonderful therapeutic uh, self-care activity. Oh, and we were just talking about this before we officially started recording, but I grew up outside of a beautiful beach town called Tauranga Mount Monganui in New Zealand, and there is something so beautiful and refreshing about salt water. Yes, for sure. And I didn't put the two and two together, but I actually surfed there on my last trip to New Zealand. I surfed uh, outside of Mount Monganui. Ah, so it was fantastic. Google search people, it's like a volcano on the edge of like a beautiful white beach, but the volcano is extinct. It's safe, but it's pretty gorgeous. What does fulfillment mean to you? Fulfillment would have to mean that I have really followed what I know is my highest truth in service to the greater good and that I've touched some people's lives in a positive way and helped them and that I can sleep peacefully at the end of the day. I like that a lot. Final intermission question, which is kind of the theme of our whole conversation, but how do you define the soul? The soul is the non-physical part of who we are. So we can sense that very simply as just um, breath or energy, um, that sort of field of energy that's around us and within us, but it's the part that goes on and that is not determinate or the part that is not limited by the physical body. Okay, so coming back to Spark Change, 101 Provocative Questions for Spiritual Evolution. Oh, 108. 108. I can't even read. I've got it in front of me too, Jenny. That's hilarious because I'm like, I can't even read people. I, I, I was just thinking in my own little head, I'm just, I'm really, really excited by this book. And I agree wholeheartedly that it's like a spiritual and inquiry and a book and I'm like that's brilliant that you managed to do that so everybody should totally go and get a copy 
But I did want to ask you if you had like either a favorite reflection question or even just one that comes to mind right now that you could share with us that might get the audience started. Yeah, for sure. Um, The one that comes to mind based on our conversation today, Kate, is question number 74. And it's what is preventing me from being quiet inside? And since we've been talking about this a little bit already, I think it's a great one to dig into a little bit deeper. But, you know, we, I was saying, sharing earlier that sometimes people are really afraid of going into stillness. But if we can identify, well, what is it that's, that's really lurking there that's preventing me from wanting to approach the quiet inside, then that's the first step to handling that. And until we handle that, whatever the, that is, so whether it's self-doubt or some, you know, unprocessed grief or some conversation in our head with some ex that we never really finished, that we feel like there's something we need to say to somebody or something that we're really not telling the truth about to ourselves. Or, I mean, there's so many different things, right, that kind of we push away and push away. And then we think if we get quiet, oh, that's going to come right in. And it will in fact. So just invite it in and say like, okay, what is it that's keeping me from wanting to be quiet? Let me have a good hard look at this. I mean, evolution doesn't happen spontaneously. We have to put a little effort into this. Change takes a little effort and often a lot of effort. And it's like the old expression, Buddhist expression about inviting your demons to tea. And it's like, as soon as we just look something in the face, put it in the light, it becomes that much less scary. The beautiful author, Brené Brown, writes so much about shame and and vulnerability, and I love her work. And she really shows how shame, the things that we feel shame around, only hurt us when we don't bring them into the light. So everyone has done stuff. Everyone has had things, experiences in life that hurt them and make them feel terrible. And so all we have to do is just love those parts, bring them into the light, love them up, and then they don't block us anymore. Mm. So this question is really, really, I think, critical kind of, it's funny, it's number 74, you'd think it would be closer to the beginning, but um, it it is a critical question, I think, for people starting the practice of self-inquiry. I really love it. I have the page open. I should say that so you can understand what the book is like, there are these 108 questions. And as I was saying, I kind of use them as journal prompts. But Jenny has this beautiful description for every single question, which kind of really helps you go deeper. And if I can just read the first sentence from question 74. So question 74, what is preventing me from being quiet inside? And then in Jenny's words, it's so perfect from our conversation today, as you said, In our overstimulated world, where constant connection is the norm, we have become unaccustomed to silence. Whoa. (laughs) So good. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'll just read the last sentence in that little section, which is silence will become the place in which you meet yourself fully and where you hear the consistent, calm voice of your soul speaking. So 
I can't stress enough, and I know you agree with this, Kate, how that it is essential that we begin to approach silence and that we root out the things that are keeping us from taking that that step inward. Oh, I just feel emotional even hearing those kind of those kind of words from the book, Jenny, and this entire conversation. It's just like a balm for the soul, I would say. Oh, thank you. <laughs> if you could leave us with just kind of a lasting thought, what would it be right now? I guess I'm going to go back to one of the other qualities that I didn't mention when you asked the question about how does how do we feel or how do we know when we're evolving spiritually? And the other quality beyond peacefulness, which is the one I mentioned, would be fearlessness. And we've seen a world and experienced a world in the last year or so that has been so fear-based. And the practices that we've been discussing of self-inquiry, meditation, devotion, these practices take us to a state of fearlessness and the ability to walk in this crazy, crazy world without feeling fear. And so I can't encourage people enough to be brave to take the step towards the things that feel scary right now because it's in that doing that we build the courage so we don't wait for the fear to be gone we just move into it and with it and by doing so we become fearless and that is a pretty great way to feel Oh, I feel like that conversation was like a soothing balm for the weary soul. As I mentioned, Jenny Lee can be found over on her website, which is JennyLeeYogaTherapy.com. We were talking today about her new book, which is called Spark Change, 108 Provocative Questions for Spiritual Evolution. But Jenny is also the author of two other books, True Yoga and Breathing Love Meditation in Action. She has a virtual book club that she is going to be launching in May. And if you would like to be a part of that, sign up for her newsletter list for updates. You can also get an excerpt of Spark Change and bonus guides for coaches and yoga teachers over at JennyLeeYogaTherapy.com forward slash spark change if you want to follow jenny over on instagram check her out at jenny lee underscore author next month we are talking about the important concept of restoration of ourselves how we can really take that concept of self-care and reframe it as rest. I think there is so much power in considering how we are resting and regenerating, especially when we have been through such a trying time collectively. So that's where we are heading next. As per usual, just a little reminder of how much it means to me when you share here to thrive with other people. 
I've been over on Clubhouse, which I should have mentioned as well. If you're on Clubhouse, come and find me, kate.snowwise. And there is also a new club called Here to Thrive. I'm aiming to do conversations every Monday. So come and join me there in a live format, people, of course, if you are on Clubhouse. But what I was going to say is... A longtime listener of Here to Thrive was over on Clubhouse and she mentioned how someone else told her about Here to Thrive. That just made my heart sore. So please share the love. And if you think there are people in your life that may benefit from listening to Here to Thrive, introduce them. Also, your ratings and reviews really do help more people find the show and know it's a decent one to listen to, right? So if you do feel positively about Here to Thrive, it would mean so much if you could leave a review and rating. Till next time, beautiful people, take good care of yourselves and keep thriving, keep thriving. Keep thriving.